Please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, the book of John. If you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, it's on page 903. Let's just say that the right team wins today. And I don't know when the parade would be, but let's just say it's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday. And those of you who are happy about the event show up for that parade with thousands of other Kansas Cityans. And we collectively rejoice. And we feel ourselves connected, even though maybe we felt apart this week from other things. We all of a sudden feel ourselves connected to this great big thing, this body of people all united in happiness that there has been this great victory. And we feel connected to everybody else wearing red around us. And it's a great party. And we're so happy. And then Thursday happens. And we got to go back to work. And then May and June and July happens. And you find yourself forgetting even who won. And then all of a sudden you realize that unity you felt on Wednesday that day where everybody seems so one. That seems a distant memory. This didn't quite last. What then? Is it to look forward to another Super Bowl? To get back to that place? Is it something else that might give it a little bit longer? A little more enduring unity with other people? A little little more stable sense of what life is for and about? This morning, we conclude our study through this section of John, and I am going to be sad to leave it behind. I have, I have found my heart so helped to hear Jesus blow our categories of a mediocre, mundane assumption of what it means to live with him and replace it with this majestic vision of eternal life. I do pray that our church, even though we will move on from this passage, that we will keep discovering and rediscovering the staggering opportunity we have to live with God. Life with God is and has been Jesus' main theme in this section of John that we've been in. And as we'll see this morning, that theme reaches the height of the crescendo, the pinnacle in the passage in John 17, 20 through 26. And remember the context. Just hours after this chapter, hours after this prayer ends, Jesus' life ends. This is the end of his earthly teaching ministry. And as he concludes this prayer that he's been praying since John 17 verse 1, we hear Jesus express his thoughts, express his heart, express his plan of action. And they all communicate one main idea. At the end of Jesus' ministry, his priority was to bring people 
into life with God. At the end of his ministry, Jesus' priority was to bring people into life with God. See if you can hear that priority as I read John 17, 20 through 26. I do not ask for these only, Jesus prays to his Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. My, my hope, my aim is for us to see that Christ's priority is for your life to be with him. And that you would be persuaded to live with him. Jesus' priority shows up in three different ways in this text. In what he asks for, in what he wants, and in what he brings. And so that will be my outline. Jesus asked for us to have life with God. That's number one. Jesus asked. Number two, Jesus wanted us to have life with God. And number three, Jesus brings us life with God. First, Jesus asks for us to have life with God. And that's there in verse 20 through 23 that I just read. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at verse 1 through 5, where Jesus prays for himself. And then last week, we thought about verses 6 through 19, where Jesus prays for his disciples. But, but here, the prayer is shifting to an even bigger group. All who will believe in Jesus through the disciples' ministry of taking Jesus' words out. I think Jesus has two groups in mind when he prays for all those who will believe. There are the people believing now, that is his disciples, and the people who do not yet believe, but will. He mentions there, verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And Jesus sees a connection between these two groups. So he prays for those who are already believing. He prays for them, asking that when it happens, when the answer to prayer is given, it will result in the world becoming believers too. So he prays for believers and asking that through them, others would become believers. So as in all things, Christian, Jesus has a purpose for your life that is both good for you but always goes beyond you for the good of others. This is who Jesus prays for. Those who are believing and those who will believe. 
So let's see what he asks for. Well, his first request request that Jesus makes is this. Jesus prays for his people to have a unified life with God. A unified life with God. Look there in verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. Look there down in the second half of 22. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. Jesus wants his people to have a unified life with God. These, these two verses are very similar. Jesus asks the Father to give people the same united life that exists between the Heavenly Father and Jesus the Son. So the immediate goal, the first thing Jesus comes out and prays for, is that those who have heard and believed his word would have the Trinitarian God living in them and enjoy life within the Trinitarian relationship. Not only unity with God, though, unity with each other. I think that's what he means when he prays that they may be one. And then uses his relationship to the Father to make the comparison. Make them one with each other like we are one, Father and Son. Did you realize that your life could have that kind of meaning and substance? You can enjoy life with God. So even the mundane tasks... Like going to the same job every day or changing diapers or doing homework. You can do all those things, live through those things, be participating in those things. At the same time, enjoying knowing that while you work, you know God. As you change a diaper, knowing God loves you. While you do your homework, God is leading you, keeping you, teaching you, caring about you. And Jesus gives what he asks for. Look at verse 22. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Now, hopefully by now, when we see the word glory in John, you're thinking life in the love of God. Glory, life in the love of God. Jesus came to earth to bring his people the very thing he is asking his father to give. He is praying that there would be Life with God, and he comes to bring it. This is a father, son, spirit, cooperative, life with God giving mission. This life with God is far better than any version of any other life you could imagine. Remember Jesus' prayer when you're watching the Super Bowl ads later today. Be encouraged. As you compare their empty promises to the abundances of what Jesus gives. No car, no trophy, no product, no form of entertainment can offer you what life with God provides. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus' words, if you don't intend to be following him, maybe you're ignorant of most of what he said and you're hearing him for the first time today. Did you know it was a real possibility for you to not just live, eat, drink, be merry, and die on this earth, but to live as one eternally with the God who made you? 
Maybe you thought all along that Jesus just came here to drop some truth bombs and die trying to make some moral reform. But he did so much more than that. He offers you so much more. So let me ask you, if someone offered you a path to a complete experience of life and love with a being who is eternally life and love, would you take it? What would prevent you? And if you reject that offer, would you be willing to come and talk to me after and explain to me why? Church, I'm sure we're going to wonder all the way to heaven that this opportunity for oneness with God was ever made available to sinners like us. We're people who are going to remain astonished at the mercy and grace of God, singing often like we did earlier. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? As a church, we commit to praying that we would live in God's unity together. You cannot sincerely pray that prayer if you are still holding on to your sin. If in your heart right now you know there is a choice, there is a love, there is a pleasure that you prefer over unity with God, brother and sister, you cannot have unity with God with and his people if your heart is divided from God in this way. You can't. Confess your sin. Acknowledge how our sin divides us from God and his people and then turn in faith and obedience and pursue and pray for unity. Examine your relationships in the church as you hear Jesus pray for our oneness. Is there any secret grudge or bitterness toward another person we're holding? Is there any hatred or sign of impatience? Is anyone unwilling to love because you haven't been loved first? Oh, friend, we have. Brother and sister, we have been loved first. And that was, is what enables us to love even in the face of hard things and hard relationships and tough confrontations. Ephesians 6.1 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He leads the way in our loving unity. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 encourages us, church, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So be vigilant. Let's be vigilant together in protecting what Jesus prayed that we would have, unity. Jesus prays that we would have a united life with God. That's the first thing he prays for. But then secondly, he prays for something else. He prays for more people to have life with God. Notice the similar logic of his prayer in verse 21 and 23. It follows the same sequence. First he says, I ask... And then he says, so that my people might be one... But that's not where it ends. 
It goes one step further. So that the world might believe and know Jesus. Verse 21, 23. The love of the Father and Son is a generous love. The decision to invite all people into this love was made long before anything was made. Father, Son, Spirit decided that they would create in order to welcome creation into participating in life with him. And notice, just by following the logic of Jesus' prayer, that it doesn't end with one person being united with God, but it kind of expands. Notice that God's love never is intended to meet a terminating point in any one individual. It continues to flow from one to the other. If received, it's meant to be given. The nature of God's love is that it, like a huge waterfall, just keeps cascading over the world. His kingdom is always expanding. It begins like a seed with Jesus and grows into a sapling in the 11 disciples. But Jesus promised it would become like an enormous tree that everyone comes and finds shelter and shade in. So how does that life from God flow down to the world? Well, Jesus explains it in his prayer. The living water, the life that God gives, it flows through the channel of the church's word ministry and united love for God and each other. That is the channel. The love of God, the life of God flows through the church's word ministry and through our united love for one another and for God. So let me explain how this happens. When Jesus passes on his word to you, and you believe it, and you begin living in it, and you know his love for you, that Jesus has signally loved you and set you apart and freed you from sin, and you start living that life with his people in the church, Jesus then intends for that to carry down on into something else. That you would then, and we would together, turn to our neighbor, give the word we received so that they would believe. And they would know God's love for them. And they would be invited into unity with God's people. So if you have been visiting with us, and you have happened to be here on like a Sunday like last week when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Which we understand is one of the clearest Visible demonstrations of our unity together. A people gathered around a a table enjoying a meal in Jesus' name. If you've come and and seen that, you might have noticed that we encourage people who aren't a part of a church, we encourage them not to come to the table. And, And I recognize, I recognize how that might seem unnecessarily exclusivistic. But friends, just so you know, It's our intention for that to be actually evangelistic. An invitation to you. We want you to come. We want you to be united with us. But we don't want to encourage you that there's a way to come except the way Jesus has said. Only can we come as Christ calls us to come. Repenting. Believing. Uniting ourselves to Christ's body. Life is available to all. Life can only be found when we come through Jesus. 
I also want you to think about your life and what it's for. We often do try to connect to some greater meaning. I See here in Jesus' prayer, when you live with God, you have a purposeful life. Church, see how Jesus intends for our life together to be useful, to bring people out of the world and into life with God. He has that purpose for our life. We were committing to be used for that purpose earlier in our covenant when we affirmed our covenant with these words. We will work together to maintain a faithful gospel witness in our worship ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. Yeah, part of that is we're committing to give money to this church. We don't give money to this church just so that we can be freed from a Heavier tax burden. Sure, it's a nice plus in this country at this time. It's not going to remain forever, I wouldn't think. We give money to this church, praying and believing that God will use these gifts to save people through the proclamation of his word. Every time we get to witness a baptism here, that is better than any stock shareholders meeting. Those are eternal dividends represented in a life claimed for Christ. That return on investment is invaluable. And so we are happy, happy to see our dollars that will otherwise be burned in fire, be used to advance the message of Jesus that rescues eternal souls from the fires of hell. But word ministry is only part of the witness Jesus uses to save his people. He also shows himself, as he says in this prayer, he shows himself and his love through the unified love the church has for each other. Did you notice that? Verse 23, what does he want the world to, verse 21, what does he want the world to believe? That the Father sent Jesus. What does he want the world to see and know? That Jesus was sent and loves his people through the unified witness of his people. Our unity is a priority for Jesus because it is vital for our mission. When was the last time you heard about someone getting saved through the ministry of a church that argues? Have you ever known anybody who was captivated with the love of Jesus through hearing about a church full of people that had no time to serve each other? I haven't. Our unity around Jesus above everything else is vital for our mission. Do you want to see people saved here? Then do not allow your preferences to divide yourself from us. Do not allow divisions to rise between us. And I understand. I understand what he is asking for. But I also understand what he is promising to provide. (laughs) I know we're not all the same. Jesus knew there were differences we would hold that would be hard to overcome. We're very different. We're different people with different backgrounds, with different family situations, with different incomes, with different experiences. And all I'm saying is Jesus seems to have a purpose in that. 
He has an evangelistic purpose in that. To bring us all and our differences into a life together. Our unity experienced through our diversity tells the world that there is a powerful God who makes the separated, disunited, disenfranchised, and distant one in Jesus through the power of the gospel. So consider what Jesus is saying. A unified church that loves each other invites the world into life with God. That means that any one of us or all of us choosing to pursue sin or selfishness will become a a barrier to people knowing Jesus. And knowing knowing this church as I do, I know we do not want that. But perhaps... Connecting your personal life choices this week to our corporate witness will help you. Maybe it will help you to see in light of the whole and what God will do through our unity in the Lord. Maybe that will help you say no to sin this week. Maybe that will encourage you to say yes to opportunities you will have to selflessly serve others. You may not have realized it before now, but those day-to-day decisions will make a difference in how people around us come to know life with God. This was Jesus' priority. He wanted us to have life with God, and so he asked for it. Secondly, Jesus wants us to have life with God, period. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Don't you love how Jesus on the verge of getting to be reunited with his father in heaven was not only desiring to be there himself, but he was desiring for us to be there with him. As he talks to his father, he says, I cannot wait to show him what it's like living with you. And notice what he wants us to experience. He wants us to be with him where he is. And I think he's referring to him ascended after he dies and rises to be with God, where the father, where he is. He wants us to be with him where he is so that we might see his glory that the father has given him because the father loved him before the foundation of the world. Now, if we have a distorted view of Jesus, we're going to misunderstand this. Maybe this makes you think of Jesus as a proud rich kid who just wants you to come to his house so you can see all the great stuff he has. But it isn't that at all. Jesus doesn't want us to simply visit heaven. He wants us to come live with him. And in that place, there is something for us. There is eternal life with God. To be there will be not only to be an eyewitness, but to be a participant To witness the love between Father, Son, and Spirit is to be brought into it. To behold Christ and the Father loving one another is to become loving like God and to be loved by God. There are no sideline spectators in the life of heaven. We will all be involved in living God's life with him. Jesus references the love he had with his Father before the foundation of the world. He pictures the glorious end ahead of his ministry 
where he's going to be back with his father. And we will be with him. And as he looks ahead, we think back and remember, this might never have happened. Had God in his infinite love and kindness not made a plan to create in order to redeem, in order to reconcile, in order to adopt, in order to resurrect, we would never get to lay our eyes on heaven's gates, let alone walk the streets, let alone stand in the presence of the beauty of the holy, united, loving, Trinitarian God. The desire to have us with him in heaven is what motivated Jesus to come and live with us in the first place. To die for us. To rise ahead of us. And isn't it encouraging church to know that your savior Jesus yearns to be with you. If you don't know love anywhere else in this world. If you've been cast off or bullied. Abandoned. Mistreated. Misused. Devalued. Know that Jesus will never do that to you. The best is what we will have. We will become like him and enjoy life with him forever. This is the best that he wants for us. He wants you to be changed. The Bible says that when you get there, when you see him in his glorious state as the eternal son throned in glory, giving and receiving love in the Trinity, you will become like him. This is the best. That Jesus has always wanted for his people. So if that is what preoccupied Jesus. If this is what was on his heart. If this is what he wanted. I wonder. Is this what we want? Be careful. With the things. That can diminish. Our desire. For life with Jesus. Are there any yearnings in our hearts that are deadening our desire to see Jesus in his glory? Maybe some of us are too preoccupied right now with people seeing our glory and praising us for our accomplishments that we view being with Jesus as competition to our life goals. Perhaps others among us think of this world as ultimate and find it hard to believe that heaven could improve on the feeling of being rich now, being loved now, being happy in this life now. Maybe some of us are just tired of having to believe that Jesus is better amid the constant temptations to settle for the immediate pleasure of sin and self-gratification. You've got to decide who you're going to trust when it comes to where life can be found. Who would you believe more than Jesus? He's been where eternal life is lived. He has enjoyed all the benefits of perfection. He came from the distant land where there's no death, no suffering, no loss, no fighting. A pure world free from even a grain of sand's worth of sin. He's rested in the company of the Father. He has had fellowship with the Spirit. He has communicated and communed together with them. They have joyfully enjoyed one another while delighting to work in unity to show love to us. And he comes to us and Jesus says to us, I cannot wait for you to see where I live. 
I cannot wait to bring you to it. If we cannot believe Jesus on this, I think there's no other true person left for us to believe. Jesus is expressing this want, this desire for us to be with him on the eve of his crucifixion. (laughs) Astounding to witness the heart of Jesus for sinners. That he was longing for the best for us even when he was about to take our worst. To buy us passage into life. The joy of life with God motivated Jesus even in the worst suffering. And it can and will motivate us too, church. When you face trials, when you face hardships, and they linger, and they hurt, set your mind on heaven. Determine to have your vision filled by heaven's shores, even when it seems that all you can see is waves of trouble. When your boat is rocked by the unexpected and the seemingly enduring trial, check again. Find that the chain is secure and it stretches all the way to Jesus, our anchor. He has passed already before us through the tidal wave of death and pain. And he is our anchor in glory. He is there with our Father. He is pulling us toward him. That anchor is sure to hold. One day, having come through trial after trial, having suffered and endured, we will be with him. Notice when Jesus was preparing for the cross and yet yearning for our life with him, he wasn't conjuring some fanciful fairy tale to get him through the dark time. Jesus was reinforcing what was most true. Before the foundation of the world, you loved me. And you will love me when I've gone through death. Jesus knew that God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that though he die, yet he would still live. And I find it absolutely remarkable that Jesus is not talking to the Father about the cross here. It's looming. It's right there. He knows it is. It is as if the bliss of getting to go home to life with his father and bringing us with him, eclipses the agonies of Calvary for these moments. Heaven must be in an unimaginably wonderful place. So much so that the suffering Jesus was about to endure on the cross is overshadowed in his heart by the glory of life with his father. Oh, man, we need his grace to see suffering that way, don't we? And Jesus will give it. Ask him in your trial to see glory beyond the cross, and he will grant your faith to be strengthened by knowing that you will be with him. Church, this is our one destination, and it is that one destination that reinforces why we want to live as one now. So let's not... Treat our life together like my family trip to Disney World when I was 16. We get there. All my siblings were responsible enough that my parents said, all right, enter the park. It's 8 o'clock whenever it opens. All right, everybody, let's meet back at 6 o'clock for dinner. We'll have a good dinner together. Go enjoy all there is separate from one another. And we'll just come back together for, to close out the day. No, that's not 
what Jesus called us to at all. Like, like, hey, once I've saved you, I just want you to kind of live just with me. And it doesn't matter if you enjoy life with anybody else, just with me. No, he wants us together. He wants us united, one, one body, one people. Jesus gathers us not just for the life that's coming, but for the life now. Community in the church on earth is the preface to communion with God in heaven. The life of Jesus flows in the love of the church. This is the main event right now. The church is where life with God is happening. And if that sounds crazy to you, I totally understand. I totally understand. A lot of people grow up thinking, either by example or by teaching or lack of both, that the church is a boring, hypocritical, irrelevant, man-made institution. And to whatever degree people define the church instead of allowing God to define it, I'm sure that's true. But can I tell you my experience? Through all the known flaws, weaknesses, and sins that I know I bring into this church. I have witnessed and lived life among Jesus' people that I tried to find everywhere else. But could never find until Jesus brought me into his family. There is life to be experienced here because God lives here. But you must be willing to receive it. That means you need to press in to know people here. That means you must open up your grip on your routine in order to move to serve people when the opportunity presents itself. You must allow for your sin and other people's sin to become catalysts for cross-centered living in humility, forgiveness, reconciliation in the name of Jesus. And we must press on to know God together, opening his word, talking to him together in prayer, trusting his promises, obeying his commands, loving his ways. Jesus is love. I promise you, when we are open to receive it, we will watch him and we will experience him. Bring us further into a deeper love with him and with each other. And as we love with his love, he will bring us up further into himself. Count on it. Not because I said it, but because Jesus promises it. This is what Jesus wants for us. Life with God. And thirdly and finally, this is what Jesus brings us. Jesus brings us life with God. Look at verse 25 to 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is the last paragraph, according to John, of the last prayer that Jesus will pray with his disciples. These are the last closing remarks that conclude this last discourse that we've been studying. And in verse 25, Jesus lays out the the situation as he finishes his ministry. Before his righteous father, there are some who don't know him, Jesus who does know him, and the disciples who Jesus has made the father known to them. There is darkness, there is the light, and there are those who now carry the light. 
And for Jesus, there's no time left to do any more than he's done. After three years, there are only 11 men who hold the truth. The message that God came to earth in Jesus Christ, only 11 men who understand that the entire Old Testament prophetic witness pointed to Jesus Christ. Only 11 men who knew that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way into life with God. 11 men that knew God in Christ in the middle of a huge world that didn't know him. 11 men who would watch the world crucify the man they knew to be God's son. If you knew nothing about what happens from here, would you write the story that God writes after this? From what Jesus says in verse 26, Jesus knew this was only the beginning of what he would do. He revealed the Father to his 11 disciples, but there was a world beyond the disciples that he intended to show the Father to as well. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, living proof that Jesus had this on his mind. Jesus wanted 11 men to know the love of God from him. He wanted those men to become the first jars of clay that Jesus would put the life of the Spirit of God in. And that would be how he would then change the world. But how would Jesus do this if he knew he was about to die? How would the life of Jesus spread beyond the disciples if Jesus wasn't there to do it? Well, Jesus was actually about to die so that his life would spread. The disciples believed that Jesus was sent from God. But what they didn't yet know is what Jesus was about to do for them. He was about to make them right with God. Which is what they had to have if ever they were going to be with him in heaven. I don't think that it's a coincidence at the end of his prayer, although Jesus has been calling his father, father, at this section, he calls him righteous father. God is morally pure. He's perfect in everything he does in his character. He's holy. And he made this world to reflect him. And yet you and I, mankind, everybody, we sinned. And in our sin, we broke the kind of pure fabric of God's created order by doing what was wrong. And at that point, the righteousness of God demanded justice be applied. A justice that when served would be a punishment that meets the crime. And the only suitable verdict for sin against the holy God is death. If life is used to reject the life giver, then life must end. That is the verdict of God's law against anyone who has ever disobeyed him. Death is how the story ends for people who are not righteous like God. But the righteous father has a son. And his father knew and knows that his son loves him. And he loves his words. And Jesus loves the father's ways. 
And so Jesus, in every way, even before he came here, showed his love in perfect obedience. And Jesus loves us. And the Father loves us so much so that when the time comes, the Father gives Jesus to give his righteous life willingly as a substitute and sacrifice on the cross for wicked and sinful lives like ours. As his body was broken, as his blood was shed, his life was poured out. But the perfect blood of Jesus flowing from his veins is effective to wash away our sins. His life laid down for you buys you freedom from death. So when Jesus died on the cross, which he was preparing to do as he closes his prayer. The law with its verdict of death crashes down on our sins that he carried there. But that law could not condemn him as a sinner, for he had never done anything wrong. So when he was crushed under our punishment, we who are hidden in him are spared. And when his life was over, death couldn't hold him. He rose from the grave victorious. He carried our unrighteousness into the grave. He walked out the same way he went in, the righteous son of God. Sent from the righteous father. Who by his death and resurrection makes us righteous too. In the final words of his prayer. Jesus is committing to do what is needed to make us righteous. And bring us into life with God. And what happens after his prayer. His death and his resurrection. That's how he makes it happen. This is the message the eleven will now carry into the world. This is the word that will bring life into your heart this morning if you don't have it. So as we close our time, and I give us a moment to think in just a moment, I want you to use some of that time to be astonished at the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit that commits to a plan in which the innocent and eternal Son of God dies in order to bring the created sinner into eternal life. And then I want you to rejoice that God's love in Christ has kept expanding since the disciples. How big Christ's kingdom is now. We are only just a small part. How many people there are today than the 11 disciples that know life with God. And he has more to bring to life through us, friends. Speak Jesus' words, live in Jesus' love, so that the world might know life with God. Trust Jesus to work by opening your mouth this week and telling someone about the life they can have. Heaven is full of people from the world. Full of them. All of them are from the world at one point. People who didn't know God until Jesus' people told them. And by the witness, Jesus answered on his promise to bring life with God to the world. Church, Jesus has already brought us into this life. Let's live in it. His love is in you and in me. Jesus is in you and me. So let's turn this week with the love he gives and be the cascading waterfall he intends us to be to a world that needs to see and hear Jesus from us so that more would know.
If you don't know this life with God, I hope today you've seen Jesus' priority. To bring life with God to people. He asked for it. He wanted it. He brought it. If you don't have life with God, ask him to give it to you. And he will. Let's pray. Lord, we know that the rest of our lives, for as long as you give us, are going to be spent by the lead of your spirit exploring what all of this that Jesus said means. Today we have gone farther in our understanding, but we certainly have not exhausted what there is for us to know and experience in life with you. We pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to be receptive every day to living at one with you and with your people. We pray that through our word witness and our unified love witness that you would save people from the world and bring them into life with you. Lord, hear the longing of our hearts that we want to be where you are even as Jesus, you long for us to be there. And Father, hear also our sincere desire that until that day you would use us to spread the life of God to those who desperately need it through the preaching and the witness of Jesus. We ask in his name, amen.